media build-up, no giant countdown clock in the sky like a thief. And so Peter says, get ready now. Get ready now, because on that day, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. Guys, can you skip this on, please, for me? I can't do it here. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare, verse 10. It will be the end of the world as we know it. When Peter uses that language of everything being destroyed and and laid bare, he's alluding to the prophetic poetry of Malachi and and Isaiah in the Old Testament. They spoke of a complete cosmic cataclysm. The dissolution of this physical universe, sun, moon, stars, as the fiery judgment of God melts and destroys and dissolves this world and everything in it. But look at verse 10. I want you to notice that God's purpose in this fiery judgment is not extinction, but exposure. It's not destruction per se, but disclosure. Not to ruin everything, but to reveal everything. God is peeling back the layers on the earth so that everything done in it is laid bare before the eyes of whom to whom we must all give account. So this destruction, it's not a meaningless firework display. It's designed to disclose and expose everything laid bare before the judgment seat of Christ. On that day, everything that human beings thought they got away with that God didn't see, didn't care about, didn't do anything about, will be exposed. Every abuser and tyrant and trafficker will be brought to justice. And everything we have ever done, every word, every thought, every motive, every action, every attitude will be disclosed, laid bare. And there will be nowhere to hide. Well, verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, laid bare, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Of course, if the scoffers are right, that life is nothing more than time plus matter plus chance, that Jesus will never come, that there is no day of judgment, no future justice, no giving account for our lives, then it doesn't matter how you live now. Live however you like. But if he is coming again, if the day of the Lord will come, and if on that day everything will be laid bare before him, make your life fit to be laid bare on that day. Live holy and godly lives. You see how the knowledge of our future is meant to change how we live now. The the certainty of that promised day produces purity in our present day. Because as we wait for the day of the Lord, we're not waiting passively like you do in the doctor's surgery. Staring at the screen, endlessly scrolling through social media, reading Hello magazine, just passing the time. That's not how we wait. We're active. Verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort 
to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. If you've been with us through this whole series in 2 Peter, you recognize those three words. Make every effort. It's the same call we heard in chapter 1. Peter there encouraged us to make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like the athlete makes every effort to get fit again after injury with the olympics coming up next year so we make every effort to be godly in light of the coming of jesus we're not casual or half-hearted about it and remember all that we need to do that is given to us supplied by the power promises and presence of god himself now let me be clear what i'm i'm not saying um, I'm not saying what this t-shirt says. Jesus is coming. Look busy. We're so easily pre- preoccupied and distracted by busyness, aren't we? By activity. But those things that Peter mentions in chapter 1 and again here, they're not about the stuff that we do, but the kind of people we are. It's about character, things that flow from our hearts. See, we're, lots of us, we're addicts for activity and busyness. And so sometimes we're so busy doing stuff that we forget that tending to our hearts, actually communing with Jesus and, and looking at him and repenting of our sin, growing in godliness, just gets forgotten because we're so busy. But on the last day, when everything is laid bare before Jesus... Jesus is not going to be that interested in how many activities you ran or how hard you worked to run them. It's not that those things don't matter. They do. It's just that there are much more important things. On that day, the most important question will be, what kind of person were you? Did your life reflect the character of Jesus? And there will be no hiding behind busyness or activity on that day. So while you wait for Jesus' return, make every effort to beautify your lives with holiness and godliness like Jesus. Because you know what's coming. Live in light of it. So we, we live godly lives because we take judgment seriously. But we also live godly lives because we take salvation seriously. We're going to come to verse 13 properly in a moment. But just for now, I want you to notice how Peter describes the new creation in verse 13. It's the place where righteousness dwells. The home of righteousness. Can you see the logic? If the home of righteousness is one day going to be your home, and if you're a Christian, it is going to be. Live for that now. Be righteous now. If righteousness is what characterizes life in the age to come, get ready for that life today. Because the day of the Lord will come. So live holy and godly lives. Secondly, verse 13, look forward 
to the new creation. Look forward to the new creation. Christians are always people who are looking forward. Three times Peter uses that language. Verse 11 you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day and speed it's coming. Verse 13, in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, Christians are people who are looking forward, who have a sense of eager anticipation about the future, not because of chocolate eggs or because of a summer holiday, good as those things are but something so much better, the new creation. Now, I hope it's clear, we're not looking forward to the coming destruction. We have no pleasure in the judgment that's to come. But we recognize that the problem of sin runs so deep that nothing less than a a cosmic solution can deal with it. Everything else is just a plaster. Just as sin has gone global, so the redeeming work of Jesus Christ will go global too. Listen, God is not just committed to your personal salvation, but to the the universal restoration of all things. A new heaven, a new earth, a physical new creation where righteousness dwells. So we're not gleefully anticipating destruction like sadistic psychopaths but we are eagerly looking forward to what emerges out of that coming destruction the glory and renewal of all things just as an aside I think that's the the picture that Peter's giving us one of renewal so it's not that Everything is going to be completely annihilated and the earth shattered into a million pieces, thrown in the bin, and then God starts all over again with something completely brand new. Rather, I think the picture is of restoration and renewal. So remember, the Old Testament pattern is the flood. The flood destroyed everything. But the new creation that emerged out of the water was that same world washed clean, made new. And in a similar way, the coming judgment of fire will destroy everything. But the new creation that will emerge out of the fire will be this world, purified, refined, renewed. Think about Jesus' resurrection body. He is the first fruits, the pattern of the new creation. And Jesus rose again from the grave with a new body, glorious, incorruptible, eternal. But it's not a completely different Jesus. Jesus is the same. Still looks and sounds like Jesus, still human. He even carries the scars of life in this world. That's an aside over. The big thing is that a new creation is coming and we're meant to look forward to it with eager anticipation. But maybe as you read this section, you don't feel that excited about it. Maybe you even feel a bit sad about the prospect of this world ending. If you feel that way, it's probably for one of two reasons. You might feel that way, first of all, because like most of us here, you live in a very comfortable white Western bubble. 
through education, science, hospitals, money, and a bit of compromising with the world around us along the way, we have largely managed to insulate ourselves from suffering and persecution. But we ought to recognize that we therefore experience this fallen world from an incredibly privileged position. It's very different to how most people in the world through most of history have experienced life in this world. And our privilege can make us blind sometimes, make it hard to see the true depths of depravity in this world, the way the weak are crushed, the poor trampled, God's people persecuted. If you're not eagerly looking forward to the new creation, try to think of it from the perspective of someone who lives with debilitating chronic pain. Or perhaps parents in northern Nigeria whose teenage daughter's been kidnapped by Boko Haram. Or a Christian in a labor camp in North Korea. Or people in Ukraine right now. You might start to think of it a bit differently. But the second reason you might not look forward with a kind of eager anticipation that Peter describes is that you just never really thought about how good it's going to be. The new creation is a place where there is perfect peace and wholeness and rest, a place where we will finally be and feel at home, when our deepest longings for beauty and justice will be satisfied. A place where no victim is left crying out, where hurt is banished, where tears are wiped away. Where even our scars become symbols of victory. The new creation is a place where there is no poverty, no suffering, no violence, no war, no greed, no sorrow, no bitterness, no broken relationships, no fear. No tears, no sorrow, no depression, no gut-wrenching goodbyes, no sin, no temptation, no disease, no decay, no death. Only glorious righteousness with Jesus forever, every day. The Bible gives us descriptions like like Revelation 21, and they're designed to fire our hearts with longing for that new creation. Meditate on those passages. Memorize those passages. Let hope fill your heart as you look forward to that glorious new creation. But the reason that Peter wants us to look forward is so that we will live for that world, not this one. Brothers and sisters, don't invest your life in this world. It's passing away. It's destined to be destroyed. Live for what's going to last. Especially those of you who are a bit younger, who still have lots of those sort of big life decisions ahead of you. Live for what's going to last. Trust me, as you get older, your friends are going to start coupling off. Maybe you're still single. There is a great worldly attraction in 
just settling down with someone, even someone who won't help me to follow Jesus. There's a great worldly attraction in surrounding yourself with things that just make the world more comfortable for me. As if the goal of our lives is to have a nice job, drive a nice car, live in a nice house, near a nice school and have a nice life. That is what the world is selling you. Do not buy it. Do not buy it. Don't live for those things because one day, one day, everything that you trust in now for safety and security... All the things that you've spent your money on to make your life comfortable, they will all be gone. Don't trust in those things. Don't live for those things. You know more than anyone. This world is passing away. And you can't take any of it with you. But there is a new creation coming. The home of righteousness. And it will be better than anything you can imagine. And you can invest in that future. You can live today for that world. The day of the Lord will come. So look forward to the new creation. Thirdly. Remember patience means salvation. Remember patience means salvation. Verses 15 and 16. The day of the Lord will come, but I wonder if you've ever thought, what's taken him so long? What's taken him so long? We've seen, haven't we, in 2 Peter, that's the question the scoffers ask. Verse 4, where is this coming, he promised. But the thing is, it's not just scoffers who ask it. We can ask it too, not with mocking, but with a kind of pain and anguish, crying out with the psalmist, how long, O Lord? And when you feel that, here's what you need to bear in mind. Verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. We saw this last week, so we're not going to spend long here. But as we wait, we must remember why Jesus hasn't returned yet. It's not because God is bad at admin and can't get himself organized. It's not because he's slow. It's not because he's forgetful. It's not because he never will. It's because he's patient, giving people time to repent and turn to Jesus. Especially if, if you're suffering, struggling at the moment, wondering, why has God let this happen to me? The question that you're really asking is, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Right? Because that's the only time that God has promised that you will not suffer. You're asking, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? So that more people can come in. Beloved, in your suffering, you are not experiencing Jesus' abandonment, but his patience. And Jesus loves sinners so much that he will wait. He loves us so much that he doesn't dive in to condemn us, but delays judgment so that more people can come to him. If you're here this morning or you're joining us online and you're not yet a Christian, please know this. 
Jesus longs to welcome you. He longs to forgive you. That's why he still waits. Turn to him. And Jesus is so patient, isn't he? Just imagine if Jesus had returned even a year or two ago. There would be people sitting here this morning who would have faced his judgment. Multiply that across the world. This week, thousands more people have trusted in Jesus. Because his patience means salvation. But the day of the Lord will come. Patience has to end, otherwise it's not patience, it's indifference. And Jesus is not indifferent to the sin and suffering and injustice of our world. He will come to judge. What that means for you if you are a Christian is that now, today, is the time to to go for it evangelistically. To cross the pain line in relationships with people we know who aren't Christians. Seeking to have conversations about Jesus. Making decisions with our lives that further the gospel. Because one day everyone you meet will stand before Jesus. And he will either be their judge or their saviour. And he sent us to tell people. Today, the son of God's patience is shining. Let's go and make hay. Because any day, the sun could go down. The day of the Lord will come. In the meantime, remember God's patience means salvation. Last two, very quickly. Fourthly, guard against error. Guard against error. Verses 17 and 18, they're basically a summary of the whole of 2 Peter. Guard against error, grow in grace. 2 Peter. But as we saw it in chapter 2, we need to be alert, vigilant against counterfeit Christianity and false teachers. And the reason is very simple, verse 14, uh, verse 17, so that you will not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Peter's talking to me and to you. All of us need to beware. Because the moment you think you're impervious is the moment you're in the greatest danger of the false teachers. Now, we we don't need to have a kind of siege mentality as if everyone is a false teacher and we're the only people who know the gospel. Forget that. But we do need to be discerning, aware that counterfeits do exist and on our guard against them. Guard against teaching that makes more of you than it does of Jesus. Guard against those who distort the gospel. Guard against those who make grace a license for sin. Otherwise, you may fall from your secure position. Because in Christ, you're absolutely secure. But your security is in Christ. So don't let anything take you away from him don't let anything move you away from Jesus guard against error and lastly grow in grace grow in grace verse 18 because guarding isn't enough we also need to keep growing verse 18 grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
You remember what we saw the very first week we spent in 2 Peter. The Christian life is like riding a bike. You must keep moving forward. Otherwise, you might fall off. Because the Christian life isn't static. It's continually growing into Christ, growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. If you're doing that, it will feel something like this. Uh, You might remember this from our New Year's Day sermon. See, there are so many amazing things to know about Jesus. And as you grow in your knowledge of Christ, you're getting to know the most humble, generous, beautiful and wonderful person who's ever lived. And there are infinite depths to be known of Jesus in his perfect goodness and radiant glory. My dear friends, please don't settle for what you know of Jesus today. That's like um, a person who finds a lovely, refreshing stream on a hot day and dips their toe in the shallow end. And then 10 years later, they've come back to that stream every day on the hot day and they're still just putting their toe in, not realizing that Jesus is inviting you to go swimming. Our knowledge of Christ is the key thing in the Christian life. Because it's through our knowledge of Christ that we come to enjoy his power and his presence and his promises that give us all we need for life. So you can be sure of this. If your knowledge of Jesus isn't growing, you are not growing. But as you grow in your knowledge of Jesus, this is what will happen. It will expose more and more of your own sin and weakness. The radiant glory of Christ will shine on the dark recesses of your own heart. You will discover more darkness than you knew existed in there. You'll find you're even worse than you first realized. As you make every effort to live a a holy and godly life, what you'll find, what you'll see, is all the ways that you don't. But you will also find that Jesus is really gracious. Because to grow in the grace of Christ is to grow in a personal experience of needing, relying on, and receiving His grace, forgiving our sin, helping us in our weakness. Grace that flows to us from the cross. It's to live in the gospel. Every day remembering what Jesus has done for us and receiving that for ourselves. That's how we live in light of the future. Live godly lives. Look forward to the new creation. Remember patience means salvation. Guard against error. And grow in grace. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever.
Amen. Let's sing together.